move now to case number seven. This is United States v. Aubrey Jones. This is appeal 22-3218. And Mr. Beal, we're going to begin with oral argument from you. Thank you, sir. May it please the court, this case centers on two questions. First, what objective evidence must the police have of the commission of a crime before they seize a person? And second, what is the evidence in this case of the commission of a crime? The parties do not disagree as to what the legal standard is. It's the standard Terry standard. Police officers may detain a suspect for a brief investigatory stop if they have a reasonable suspicion based on articulable facts that a crime is about to be or has been committed and the inquiry is an objective one based on the totality of the circumstances known to the officer at the time of the stop. But the parties do not agree as to what the facts are. Mr. Jones was walking along Cermak Road and turned onto Kirkland Avenue. The police officers, while back in their police station, observed Mr. Jones on a pod cam while he was on Cermak. He was gripping his pants, which did not have a belt. Judge Coleman found during the evidentiary hearing that the officers could see that Mr. Jones was gripping something but could not tell what it was. The evidentiary hearing has the following colloquy. The prosecutor asked, what did it appear to you watching this footage that he was gripping? Objection. This is page 13 of the transcript of the evidentiary hearing. And in response to the objection, the court says, let Mr. Beal make his objection clear. And I say that the objection is he doesn't know what Mr. Jones was gripping. The court says no, and he hasn't said what he's gripping. He can't say what, but he can talk about he's gripping something. At this point, it's very clear after his walking for 20 seconds and never letting go of his crotch area, he's gripping something. But then later the same day, without receiving any additional evidence, Judge Coleman issues a minute order denying the motion to suppress and stating in the minute order, officers observed Jones on pod gripping a large object concealed inside the crotch area of his pants, which, based on its shape, appeared to be a gun. And the government echoed that in its brief, saying a review of the entire video captured by the pod camera at 2200 South Coleman shows the defendant was continuously gripping a long, rectangular-shaped object within the right side of his pants. We submit that the video does not show that, that the video... It looks to me from the video, Mr. Beal, just in the interest of time here, it looks to me like, especially when the camera zooms in, that he's gripping something about midway down his leg, right? Because you can kind of see his fingers bend and he's holding something. Now, obviously, we don't know what that something is, 
Yes, but that's what the judge found is that he was gripping something. No, right. But I mean, I've watched the video. My colleagues have probably watched the video. So my question is, if that's the impression I have from watching the video, I don't know what he's gripping, but he's clearly gripping something about midway down his leg. And how is that finding by the district judge clear error? The factual finding. Because the judge found that it appeared to be a gun. And we submit, looking at the same thing you've looked at, that there's no reason, there's nothing that, I mean, the, the government has, after he was tackled, there's a picture of the gun sliding down on the back of his leg. And that can be seen to certainly have indicia of being a gun. The object, whatever it was he was grabbing, there's no indicia of being a gun. And carrying something of unknown nature is not a crime. That's the problem we have, which is he was walking, carrying something. He may have had something. I mean, he could have. We know now that there was a gun. Although the gun, I mean, I can get technical. The gun was in his underpants, not his. He was actually trying to just make sure the gun didn't fall out of his pants like it did after he got tackled. It was sitting in it because at the beginning of the video, and then in that brief three seconds in the middle, and in the end, he's walking around without holding anything. Yeah, let me ask you one other thing that stuck out to me, and maybe it's irrelevant. You can tell me that. As Mr. Jones is walking down the sidewalk and that camera is picking him up, on several different occasions, he appears to be quite concerned about what's happening around him. He's looking over his shoulder. He appears on the camera a bit jittery, as if someone's about to approach him or somebody's looking at him or he's about to be confronted. One, do you think that's an accurate observation in the video? And two, do you think it's legally relevant? I think it's not. Well, I would not say that's a completely unfair observation. Mr. Jones had been, as he told the officer, he had been shot once in this neighborhood. He just seemed jittery. He seemed nervous. That's my perception. And to add on to Judge Scudder's point, at one juncture towards the end of the segment of the video that we saw, he kind of goes around the corner of a brick building. He's not there long, almost like a readjustment, and then keeps walking. Thoughts on that? Well, again, he's readjusting something, and we don't know what it is. And is there any reason, without having any notion as to what it is, that there's a sufficient indicia it's a gun so that the government has an objective fact rather than mere speculation? That's what the balance is. And we submit that simply walking down the street with an unknown object and grasping it doesn't constitute a criminal offense, and even on a reasonable suspicion level. I mean, if there were, because they talk about the shape appearing to be a gun, and the government says a long rectangular shaped object, that was before the takedown. Those 
characteristics were not visible. I mean, we submit. I mean, I've looked at this video multiple times. So after he was taken down, it was obvious. So they've got just some object which certainly the police have an intuitive instinct to say, oh, he probably has a gun, but that's not what the legal standard is. Why isn't it sufficient on this record, though? And again, as Judge Scudder noted, the standard of review is clearly erroneous for factual determinations, that you clearly see some type of bulge, that he's holding something in his pants. He's in a high-crime area. He's looking around like he's suspicious. And you have officers who are trained and experienced in this. Why isn't that collection of facts sufficient here, again, on a clearly erroneous standard of review? Well, first of all, in terms, as I mentioned with the facts, Judge Coleman did, with respect to what's on the video, Judge Coleman doesn't have anything that gives her particular insight above what this court would have, just seeing what's actually on the video. But secondly, in terms of it's pretty much a normal inner-city neighborhood, which is a dangerous place, and it's not altogether surprising that Mr. Jones, who's been shot once in that neighborhood, is nervous just walking around. And in terms of the police, they talk about it being a high-crime neighborhood and so on, but there are no specific instances or no statistics of the nature of that neighborhood offered by the government during the hearing. They just make very general statements. That wasn't contested at the hearing, that it's a high-crime neighborhood, and the officers who policed that neighborhood said it's a high-crime neighborhood. That sounds like that would be sufficient. Well, I think the problem is that makes it no different than virtually any neighborhood on the south and west side of the city of Chicago, and that doesn't give the police carte blanche to stop anybody they want to just because they're in one of many high-crime neighborhoods. Mr. Beal, can I get the benefit of your reaction to one other question? Okay. It's this. So let's forget the video altogether for a minute. Just categorically set it outside your mind. Okay. When the police pull up, we can't get this all from the video, but it seems like they make eye contact or your client makes eye contact with them, and then he runs. Yes. So regardless of the conclusion, this debate about what findings were okay or not okay on the video, why under Illinois v. Wardlow is that flight alone in that area not enough to justify the Terry stop? Well, I think that Wardlow says, or Justice Stevens' concurrence says that flight alone should not be enough. No, focus on the majority opinion in Wardlow, though. I guess what I would say is he fled 10 or 15 yards. It was inherently futile flight. It was in the context. So, too, on the facts of Wardlow. Well, what we submit, it's Mr. Jones' way of telling the police he didn't want to talk to them, and he fled from them. Wardlow doesn't have the Justice Stevens' interpretation of the majority opinion is that flight alone is not necessarily sufficient. So 
that's what I would rely on is Justice Stevens' interpretation of the majority opinion. And, you know, I mean, what I would say is that, you know, Mr. Jones was a young man in an inner city neighborhood, and many young men in those neighborhoods have uncomfortable relations with the police and don't like to talk to them. And he was manifesting that uncomfortable relationship. And that should not be then expanded to constitute a sufficient basis for a Terry stop. Thank you, Mr. Beal. We will give you some rebuttal time. Now we're going to move to argument from the government. Mr. Stone. Thank you, Your Honor, and may it please the court. Brandon Stone on behalf of the United States. The district court properly denied defendant's motion to suppress after holding an evidentiary hearing during which it reviewed pod and body cam videos and heard testimony from the arresting officer and the defendant. During that hearing, Officer Martinez clearly articulated the particular facts that led him and his partner, Officer Smiley, to conduct a Terry stop of the defendant. Those facts include Officer Martinez's discussion of the high crime neighborhood in which narcotics activity and gang shootings had recently taken place. It also discussed the officer's observations of the defendant's appearance on pod camera video where they watched him glancing around nervously, gripping a concealed object in his pants, which they stated that they believed to be a firearm. And then third, that when the officers arrived on scene to conduct a field interview, which is what they stated they planned to do upon reaching the defendant, they observed the defendant flee from them immediately. And as Officer Martinez testified, it was these facts all in their entirety, the totality of these circumstances that led the officers to stop the defendant and recover the firearm from the right leg of his pants. I want to first address defendant's argument regarding the exchange with Judge Coleman regarding, it's really a response to an objection by Judge Coleman that the AUSA is asking a question about what the officer spotted on the pod camera video. And if I can turn to page 13 of the transcript, yes, Judge Coleman says he hasn't said what he's gripping. She also says right now he can't say, he can't talk about that he's gripping something. She says it's very clear that he's, after walking for 20 seconds and never letting go of his crotch area, he's gripping something. Now, that was in response to an objection from counsel, from defense counsel, regarding what the officer knew at the time. I want to point out, first of all, it's not about what the officer knew, it's about what the officer reasonably suspected at the time. And as the officer stated, just two pages later in the transcript, after talking about recovering dozens of firearms from individuals in these sorts of circumstances, he said, in response to, based on your training and experience and based on the crimes that have taken place in this area, did you have any suspicion at this time about what Jones was doing? Yes. What did you believe he was doing? I believe he was concealing a firearm inside of his pants. And so, defendant's argument that Judge Coleman somehow made an inconsistent factual finding during the hearing in response to an objection just 
doesn't comport with what's in the transcript. I want to go back to also Judge Scudder's question about nervousness and its relevance to the totality of the circumstances here. As the government pointed out in its brief at page 20, Colbert case uh, says that you know, nervous behavior is suggestive of wrongdoing. It's suggestive of criminal behavior. And as uh, Judge Coleman mentioned in the suppression hearing, she said, you're looking every which way but loose. Uh, she you know, made the finding that he did indeed start looking around nervously. And you can see on the pod video that uh, the defendant is doing so. Uh, third, I want to address this, this question of high crime neighborhood. Uh, as Judge Saini pointed out, this was uncontested at the hearing. Officer Martinez testified that he had patrolled this neighborhood, he was familiar with this neighborhood, that he knew of recent narcotics activity and he knew of recent gang shootings in the area. Uh, defense counsel had a chance to cross-examine him on those statements. That was declined. And so now defense uh, in his reply brief, defendant in his reply brief wants to say that we need to provide statistics or reports. That's just not the case. Um, those facts were introduced at the hearing. He had a chance to cross-examine and he declined that. And finally, I just want to ad address defendant's flight. Uh, Judge Scudder, you asked the question about defendant's flight. Uh, under ward law, in a high crime neighborhood, flight is relevant to consciousness of guilt. Um, it's, I think it calls it classic behavior, um, showing evidence of wrongdoing. And so it, it, of course, is relevant to the totality of the circumstances here. Mr. Stone, this may be a little bit off point, but are you aware, have there been constitutionality challenges made to these pod cameras? This is different than a poll camera where there's a, uh, a warrant, uh, some type of probable cause determination that might be pointing towards an alleged drug house. This is just on the street. Uh, Your Honor, I'm, I'm not aware of any constitutional challenges to the pod cameras. Uh, I assume you're asking about you know, what they can and can't see and the degree of zooming in. Is that well, and it's just the general civil liberties concept. I mean, we've got obviously cameras at intersections, but I mean, I'll be asking the same question of Mr. Beal. It, it, I just want to get the benefit if you had any knowledge on that. Uh, I do not, Your Honor, but one thing I do want to point out is in our brief, we, we did talk about what is a pod camera and how they're operated. One thing that I, I would point out is they're clearly marked. So they're up on the polls. Um, this, is from, this is in our brief at page Uh, in footnote two, um, they, they're, they're marked by, with CPD logo uh, and they're, they're in plain sight. So uh, most of the residents in this area know that these pod cams exist and that they're being operated. And so lastly, I, I just want to point out that this was good police work here by the arresting CPD officers. They were watching a high crime street corner on pod. They observed the defendant behaving suspiciously and gripping a concealed object concealed in his pants. These facts provided them with the ability, that they, they wanted to go investigate. They stated during the suppression hearing they wanted to conduct a field interview. When they drove over to the defendant, he fled immediately, dropped the water bottle he was carrying in his left hand, continued to clutch uh, the concealed object in his right hand. That gave the officers reasonable suspicion to conduct a Terry stop, during which, uh, after a brief foot chase, they tackled the defendant and recovered a loaded Glock 23 loaded with an extended magazine concealed in his pants. This stop was permissible under the Fourth Amendment 
and the government therefore respectfully asks that the court affirm the judgment of the district court. Thank you very much, Mr. Stone. Uh, Mr. Beal, we're going to go back to you with two minutes for uh, rebuttal. And Mr. Beal, if you might begin with my inquiry concerning civil liberties challenges to these types of cameras or any thoughts you have on that. Unfortunately, I looked into that at the beginning of the appeal, and the Seventh Circuit has upheld, I think Judge Flom wrote the opinion, Thank you. Uh, that those are, are constitutional. And that's different than, say, a poll camera with a, a probable cause determination having been made. I, I don't remember the details, but I remember that when I looked into it, I discovered it was going nowhere because of that opinion it was going nowhere in this case. Thank you. You may continue. Um, Your Honor, th this, this case presents the question of, of where the line is between officer speculation and uh, objective evidence of criminal conduct on the part of the defendant, um, I would submit that Mr. Jones was engaged in odd but not, uh, ob not obviously criminal conduct um, in that there, as I've looked at that repeatedly at the video, there is, you cannot see the outline of a gun, even what a conspicuous bulge they, it, it doesn't it doesn't exist on on the video. Uh, I realize there are these other aspects, um, but it, it raises the question of what the rights of an individual in the inner city is, uh, as um, uh, and that that I would submit that this case does not have sufficient indicia of criminal conduct to go over the line of from uh, just odd odd behavior to uh, reasonable suspicion of the commission of an actual crime. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Beal. Thank you very much, Mr. Stone. The case will be taken under advisement. We are now going to